This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, Facebook Messenger scams are eating up people's wallets. I'm going to tell you how to avoid them. Also, I've got a personal confession to make to you about saving money, or not in my case. So, uh, we have a staffer named Deborah who does some work for us on the podcast and some other media that I do, particularly radio that I do. And she is a mega talent voice and she's a a singer and she received a Facebook message recently from someone who she had not uh, seen or talked to much in the last many decades. But you know how Facebook will be that people will end up being your uh, virtual friends on Facebook who were connected in your life long, long ago. And it's like, oh, that's so cool to see what's going on with so-and-so. And And you accept a friend request, whatever. So she gets a Facebook Messenger message from this woman who knew that uh, Deborah was a singer and would love to have some voice lessons. Well, Deborah's looking at this and she's like, hmm, this seems really suspicious because the other person is actually a really well-known singer now and would not likely be coming to her for singing lessons, but wanted to go ahead and pay her in advance for singing lessons, not having really spoken to her in decades and needed her banking information to go ahead and pay her. You're getting where this is going, right? There's been an ongoing series of scams where people's Facebook identities are taken over by a hoodlum who then, having read all the stuff in somebody's Facebook, will then start sending messages to people with enough familiarity that they think they're dealing with somebody who really is that person and affinity fraud comes and bites them hard. You know what affinity fraud is? It's when you're much more likely to be scammed by a friend or family member than you are a stranger. So these strangers impersonate a friend or family member and come and rip you off. There was a very well-researched story recently in the Los Angeles Times that was written by the great David Lazarus, their consumer reporter extraordinaire, about how this has become a big thing with Facebook that makes it really way too easy for people to hack into people's Facebook accounts and then send these 
fake appeals is if they are that individual. And there's an ugly one that's been running around for a while involving Lions Club. Lions Club is a, is a community service organization, and people are getting these fake messages. They're real messages, but not from their actual friend on Facebook telling them about these grants that are available through what they're pretending is Lions Club. And there's all these warnings out there now to know that those Lions Club grants don't actually exist. People are mad at Lions Club. They got ripped off. They had nothing to do with this. And David Lazarus is really furious at Facebook. Facebook, people love to get furious at, for not putting in place good security to make it more difficult for criminals to assume your identity and send out these kind of suspicious things. And I want you to know that this is a big, big, big problem with social media and specifically because Facebook's platform is so large, they're the biggest, fattest target that the crooks are going after to take over someone's identity, seize their friends list, send these false solicitations, and rip people off. And then people are mad at the person whose identity was taken over. Remember, just because you heard something from a quote-unquote friend doesn't mean it's legit anyway, even if their account wasn't taken over. You need to be careful that you don't cough up personal information, that you don't give someone your checking account information or bank information or credit card or anything like that where they're then off to the races stealing your money. You ready for questions, Clark? I'm ready for questions. This one's from Stuart in Florida. I bought tires yesterday, and I just want to fill out the registration and see that two of them were manufactured in October of 2020 and two in August of 2020. Should I be concerned that they are this old? That's not old enough to really be concerned. Tires have to be much older before they become a real problem that they've been sitting. And I am so impressed that you check the manufacture date. I mean, who does that? But that is a smart thing to do. Um, the places you need to be most careful are low-volume sellers of tires. That's where they may be sitting for a long period of time uh, in inventory, and then you are getting something that could suffer uh, a much shorter use cycle because it does have a lot of age on it. But Something that we're talking about, um, gosh, eight months and six months old, I'm, I'm not really concerned. Denise in Indiana says, with lumber prices that have skyrocketed, how does this affect my homeowner's insurance? Should I be raising my coverage amount to account for this in the event of a catastrophe? I do have an umbrella policy. Will this make up the difference if there's an issue? Obviously, I don't want to pay more than I have to, but I do want adequate and appropriate coverage. I read the section of my policy about the inflation index, but with inflation so low, I feel that the rise in lumber prices is outstripping the inflation index. All right. So, Denise, just like Stuart, I am so impressed. Stuart, checking the manufacturer date on tires. Denise, 
reading your actual insurance policy. So the umbrella is not going to help you in this case. The umbrella is excess liability coverage. It will not be a factor in what you're concerned about that you don't have adequate coverage in the event you had a partial loss of your home and it had to be rebuilt. Um, It is actually a good idea to look and see what your homeowner's insurer shows as the value of your home at that time. It is often way undervalued and you're bringing yourself your own premium increase to increase the value of what it would take to uh, do a repair rebuild of your home. The lumber thing is a temporary phenomenon and there are unusual manipulative reasons that lumber has skyrocketed in the market. Only part of it is supply and demand. Um, I mentioned this like six weeks ago that the actual tree farms are getting very low dollars for their lumber right now, but there's a cartel of Canadian lumber mills that have manipulated the price of the finished lumber products, and that is a big factor in why you're seeing this massive increase in the cost of, I guess they call it board feet. And this will fade in time. But if it got you to look to see if you have adequate coverage or you need to raise the value so that you have enough money to do a rebuild or partial or complete of your home, good idea. This is from Paul in Pennsylvania. I would like to supplement my mother-in-law's income with a monthly stipend, but I don't want to compromise her eligibility for food stamps, which is unfortunately a necessity as she is retired and living independently. Is there a way to legally do this? She lives in Hawaii and is reluctant to uproot and live with us on the mainland despite Hawaii's exorbitant cost of living and her being below the poverty line financially. It breaks my heart that she is living this way. I have the means to assist her and just want to do it in the right way. My brother-in-law suggested depositing money into an account that is in his name, which apparently mom has access to, but I'm not sure this is either legal or the best way to accomplish my goal of easing her economic stress. Do you have any suggestions? So each state has its requirements in terms of what income would make you ineligible for food stamps, what sources of funds and all the rest. I'll tell you the easiest way to do that is to pay some bills directly for your mom. And then the money has never come into her hands. I don't really, I'm not really that comfortable with your brother-in-law's suggestion, but something that would be a legal way for you to do it and would not uh, be a violation of the law would be you pay her, power bill for her. Power bills are very expensive in Hawaii. You pay various bills for her to help her out through the course of a month, and the money would have never entered her possession, but at the same time would have the benefit and effect of you easing financial pressures on her. So just think of routine bills that she has, and you take over paying those for her, and you pay two those organizations directly for her. And I need to call myself out here on something I did that cost me money on a recent trip. That's next. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was recently in Southern California for a sweet and sour adventure. Sweet because I got to spend uh, four days with my daughter who lives in Pasadena. And I also was at UCLA Medical Center for my latest testing for my prostate cancer. And let me start with that. I, um, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer uh, tentatively and then confirmed later uh, 13 years ago. And I embarked on a path that 13 years ago was extremely rare, almost unheard of out of university research centers known as active surveillance. Prostate cancer is one of the few cancers that can be just a nuisance, not a deadly event, or it could be something that kills you. The thing is, there's many, many genetic versions of prostate cancer and we don't yet have although science is getting closer a test that's able to genetically identify whether you have a dangerous or non-dangerous version of prostate cancer at the least mine was very early stage non-life threatening and i entered into this protocol called active surveillance 13 years ago and so i have continuous testing uh, that stretches out more and more now as my cancer has shown no meaningful growth over these, in my case, lucky 13 years. And so at UCLA, I had this uh, very involved MRI that's only done this advanced of an MRI. is only done at just a tiny handful of medical centers in the country. And it found no scary or appreciable cancer. And I don't even have to have a biopsy this cycle. And I'll go back for another MRI in a year. And then I got to go, after I found out all that good news, got to go spend the time with my daughter. And we had a great time. And then I had to go back to LAX to fly back east. And right by LAX are a number of beaches. And I decided on the way back, before I turned in my rental car, to go to Manhattan Beach. And so I go to Manhattan Beach, have a good time at the beach for a little while. And then I decided, I looked on my phone on Google Nav and looked for gas stations on the way back to turn in the rental car at LAX. And by far the cheapest gas was at Costco. And if you're not familiar, California, gasoline's a fortune. Four, like four and a quarter or so a gallon average price in Southern California. And Costco was $3.69. So there's a Costco on the way to Aviation Boulevard. 
So I go to this Costco in El Segundo, if you know the area, maybe Hawthorne, I think it's El Segundo, and go to fill up at the Costco. And the store was already closed. It was Sunday. I figure everybody's going to be gone. The gas station stays open later. Little did I know other people are cheap as I am, maybe cheaper than I am. Because I get there and the cars are backed up like into Orange County to get gas at this Costco. I don't even know how many zillion cars were there. Well, I only needed a few gallons of gas because I hadn't driven that much. And I'm like, okay, what do I do here? Do I spend what looks like it's going to be 45 minutes in line to buy just a few gallons of gas? Or do I go pay more elsewhere that was 50 cents more a gallon? I went and checked, Chris, to see how much more. Okay, good. I paid the 50 cents more a gallon. I am an embarrassment to myself (laughs) and our listeners because I've always said my time is worth nothing. Well, it's worth something when you're near a beach. I bought eight gallons of gas. So 8.2 gallons or whatever. I spent $4 extra to put 45 minutes back in my life. Mm-mm-mm. I should be ashamed of myself, shouldn't I? Did you skip a meal? I actually did not have dinner that night. <laughs> okay, so you're absolved. Done. Turned in the car. I had an early morning flight, so I, I uh, stayed at a hotel at LAX, and um, I wasted that money. But anyway, the run-up in gas prices, nobody really in the lower 48 is experiencing anything like these prices in California, but we've seen a lot of prices go up. And think about the cycle through the pandemic, where for a while at wholesale Oil companies were having to pay people to take their oil from them. Nobody wanted it. Prices actually went negative for a while. And what people were paying at the pump, whatever little driving people were doing, kept going down and down and down and down. And wholesale for a refined gallon of gas was down uh, at one point below a buck a gallon, stayed about a buck five for a good while. And now you pull into a station, a lot of states people are paying Um, just below or above $3 a gallon. And there are these dire predictions. We're going to see prices go up a whole lot. They're going to be spot shortages. How did we get here? So a lot of oil wells were capped. A lot of exploration stopped. And the amount of oil with fracking, you have to constantly be doing exploration. You have to continually frack. It's a more involved process to pull oil out of the ground. And when people said, hey, this is a bad market, we're out, takes a while to get that activity going again. So, and demand for gasoline has come roaring back. So we have a temporary problem with pricing and supply that will continue uh, somewhere around 90 to 120 days. And then things will settle down again. But it is going to be a hit or miss kind of pricing thing. As I predicted before, this should peak sometime in July and things will get better at that point. Now I have to say more like um, I was too optimistic. It could be 
at the end of summer, we'll see this get back to more reasonable. Anytime, though, you predict with oil, gosh, you're asking for trouble. But we are in the midst of a very rare event that economists call backwardation. Hard even to say, right? Backwardation. And it's where commodities prices, there's too much money chasing a limited supply of commodities right now. And what backwardation is, is where the price of any commodity in the short term is higher than it is longer term. We are in a temporary disruptive pattern with a lot of different commodities. And this fits right in with what I've talked about, about how a lot of things, a lot of consumer goods, a lot of things we like to buy are artificially inflated in price right now because suddenly we have too many dollars chasing too few goods. And this is a time if you see prices too high on something, unless it's a gotta have, if it's just a wanna have, give it a rest for a while. And your wallet will thank you later. That's like what I've said about buying a newer used car is just let it ride for a while. And consumer goods that may be in short supply that have run up in price, just take a breather from consumption of those kind of items that are in short supply, high price. And it's all going to be fine in just a little while when these imbalances self-correct. Couple of questions here. Clark Lloyd in Florida says, with hearing aid prices so high in the U.S., would it pay to travel overseas or to Mexico to get hearing aids? Well, I've got good news for you on this front. Um, First background, the United States has by far the highest hearing aid prices in the world. Uh, We were running 25 times world prices, and it's because of some weird, weird laws and regulations we had in the United States Congress repealed those, if I remember right, in 2017 or 2018, and then regulations were supposed to be written that would allow um, prices to fall to world levels, and the, uh, the agency that was supposed to write those regulations slow-walked them, and they've not even been published yet, as I recall, But the marketplace is already responding, and there are now huge price gaps in the U.S. market. You may not need to go to Mexico or somewhere overseas to get affordable hearing aids now unless you want an excuse to go somewhere overseas. And we have a a new briefing on this. We update this regularly because we get so many questions about the pricing disparities at Clark.com, a write-up on hearing aids. And the cheapest we're seeing now is $400 for a pair of real hearing aids. And we're going to see a number of variety of categories of hearing devices from what are called PSAPs, which are not true full hearing aids to those that really are at price points, a fraction of prior pricing. So go read our briefing And I hope I didn't ruin your excuse for taking a fun trip somewhere. And Pat in California says, what does Clark think about the Apple charge card? The Apple credit card is a good deal for Apple fanboys and fangirls. If you are Apple everything, then you get, uh, if I remember, a 3% discount 
on Apple products and service purchases. And if you pay for things through Apple Pay, you get 2% cash back. But if you are not an intense Apple person, you're better off with a simpler cash back card, one of the two percenters, like uh, the two most prominent are the City Double Cash and the Fidelity 2% cards. That You get 2% cash back on everything. Because the problem with the Apple card is that if you do a lot of charging at places that you can't use Apple Pay, you only get 1% cash back. And 1% cash back is really not very good in today's marketplace. So you got to be all in Apple all the time. You got to be somebody who's doing Apple Pay with your uh, Apple Watch, with your phone. Uh, you got an Apple eyeball on your head that can pay with Apple Pay. Whatever it is, then the Apple credit card is worth it. Otherwise, I would say get one of the others. And I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving info you can trust.